man who put Clanfer PG on the map for Wales. He's flirted with the wrestler Adrian Street, and he'll make a song about anything. From Wirral, Merseyside, UK, meet and greet Don Woods. Well, once again, oh, there we go. Oof. Once again, I have a very, very weird um, uh, day of um, technology. It would appear, by the way, once we get this sort of storm brewing, I look on the mountains and I see the grey clouds all stacking up and I'm thinking to myself as I'm getting out of bed, Eck, I'm going to have problems making uh, my Skype contact with Don Woods today in the UK. Let's find out, is Don there? And Don, can you hear me and can I hear you, more importantly? Can you hear me, mother? Can you hear me, mother? I'm here. I can I'm hear you. I can hear you, mother. OK. All right, well, as I say, strange times and um, very testing times. Um it's it's been that way here for the last week and we have had we've got storms in the offing so i suppose really that's just um part and parcel of uh, working with the technology from a distance because uh, you are you are quite a way away aren't you yes yes i'm on wirral yes <laughs> uh, some people some people know it as the wirral but then again we don't say the london or uh, the Spain, although they do say, of course, in Spanish, El Chelsea. <laughs> it's, it's, hey, yeah. Come up, come up. I can see you. Oh. I can see you now. Well, well, I can see something. Move your camera around so I can see your face. Oh, turn it off again. There we go. <laughs> That's it. I can see you now. OK. Uh, right, well, um, so let's go to... A controversy now. That's that, not that we not that we court controversy, but this is where we're starting. Well, yeah, um, there's been a bit of controversy over the treatment of the eco warriors who have decided to block the motorways in order to save the planet. You see, this is what we've got to put up with. The news showed them being dragged off the road by a bunch of, I assume, volunteers, while the police looked on. You couldn't make this stuff up. It was like a comedy show. It was like, it was like a comedy sketch, honestly. And the problem in this country is we have to always find someone to blame for everything. Someone's got to be to blame. Then we're happy then when we found someone to blame. You know, what we need to understand is no two people are the same. You please one while upsetting the other. Plus the fact that some are still evolving and you can't legislate for idiots. So whatever government is in power, half the nation will agree with their policy, policies, the other half won't. So there's never an answer. You know, I mean, this eco-warrior thing, you should have seen it. You know, they were sitting on the motorway, these fools, I don't quite know why. I don't know. I'm supposed they're stopping people driving around. I don't know. But they were dragging them off by their coat, their coat collars. <laughs> and one fellow must have been, he was an old fella. You know, I don't know what it's got to do with him. I don't think he, the, the, the planet changing will worry him. He must have been about 80 odd. And, and he was dragging him off by his collar. You know, it, it was ridiculous. It just looked awful. You know, of course, the news are delighted straight there with the camera, you know, with all the all the bad things. But that that was that was the latest uh, controversy, and it was, as I say, it was like a comedy sketch. It's pathetic. Well, don't forget, pathetic. we we get all the UK news here, so you know, I'm up to date with what goes on. Now, to be honest with you, I find the whole thing very very strange that you've got Brexit, and for three years you've got all these problems with Brexit. Then you've got suddenly. The, the gas pipeline and the uh, electricity problem uh, just following from the petrol um, and then you've got this group of eco-warriors now eco-warriors call themselves what they want are always going to come from the left from the left of the political sphere sphere 
Uh, well, Spear, there's a, a, a good Freudian slip there because what they are doing is they are throwing um, really big uh, difficulties at the government. Now, I'm not a Boris Johnson fan. In fact, you know, he really does bumble on. And I'm not very much a fan of uh, the Conservative parties in general, as I see it at the moment, because basically I don't see um, the the very, very top people who've got stacks of money. Um, they, you know, they've got money in a, in a horrendous way, and yet everybody else is suffering. But I do think it's a bit too much, too much of a coincidence that you've got a petrol problem You've got the eco-warriors all out. You've got um, the, the, the petrol shortage and, uh, you know, trying to solve that. All coming at the same time, which just happens to be at the time of the party conferences. Plus, the BBC are always there to make sure that you get whatever pictures they decide to show you. And um, I do feel... From, for example, watching the TV at the moment, it would almost be that you'd expect to see England completely and utterly an African nation before very long. Um, I can't understand even the adverts. They're all going potty. You know, it's almost yeah. it's almost like every single person in the country is now switching to becoming of a different race. And, um, you know, it's healthy that uh, you have a, a bit of everybody um, but at the moment, it's it's about um, a two-to-one situation. Every advert seems to have been remade with um, people of different racial origins um, who are basically now the stars and the main protagonists of the adverts. Everything's gone potty. And, they, and whilst all this has gone on, you said something a long time ago, and I totally agreed with it at the time. I see it even more clearly now. The problem with weather and uh, everything else is it's cyclical. So therefore, at the moment, we're going through some sort of change. We had had in the past ice ages. Um, we had all sorts of different periods of time. And for example, am I right in assuming that there's a volcano spewing out CO2 like nobody's business at the moment? Because I don't see the BBC really reporting this. You know, the more... Oh, oh, oh. they did. They did. They, they had a, a reporter standing there saying, look at this, it's spectacular. You know, he didn't mention people were getting, losing their houses and getting, having to leave the country, panic. It was spectacular. That was, that was the report. So they did report on it for about uh, two or three minutes. The fellow standing there with it in the background saying how spectacular it looked. You know, forget all the people who are suffering and trying to get out of the houses and trying to save their own lives and the lives of their families. Forget all that. It was spectacular. There's your reporting. You see, your problem as well is uh, the newspapers. You see, nobody's buying newspapers now. I don't know anyone that buys a newspaper. No. Because everybody goes on their phone. Yeah. So the newspapers are panicking. Yesterday, the Daily Mail comes up with this still panic buying no there isn't there isn't a shortage of petrol at all there's not a shortage at all there's a shortage of hgv drivers which has been solved all the, i went out yesterday and got some juice no problem but the mail oh the you know and, and there's going to be a shortage of food this is to make people buy the papers to see what's going on because they haven't got any readers now. And then they can say, oh, yes, everyone, everyone must have read our article because they're all out panic buying. You can advertise in our paper. That's what they're trying to do because the papers are finished. It's over with newspapers. Well, I think there's part of it, Don. I think part of it's the newspapers and the media. Um, but I think the big thing is, you see, they're trying to undermine democracy. That's what's going on. There's a huge battle going on. There's this great reset, which is an international 
I don't know whether it's a conspiracy or a cooperative uh, movement that are trying to change everybody's way of working, thinking, acting, everything. I mean, we've got the pandemic going on at once, one level where everybody should now be fairly aware that there is a, a really nasty virus which basically is the worst type of flu you can get and it's ki it kills people. But in terms of the numbers of deaths... They can't really contrive any more on that one. So now they're looking at other angles. And, for example, uh, they, you had, didn't have any HGV uh, drivers. Now, because all the heavy uh, goods vehicles are being manned by other people, they've all come off public transport. Apparently, uh, these are now going to be a terrible shortage of people to drive the public transport so what they're doing all the time is they're moving the goalposts and going back to La Palma the, um, the, the, um, the volcano that's erupting what they don't dwell on is the fact that obviously um, the banana crop is very very important and obviously that's really really important to try and keep that going for those people that rely on that for their existence and also for the people that live on the island these volcanoes spew out very very virulent particles which apparently if you haven't got a mask on then you are in deep trouble because it's breathing into your lungs and they don't show you people sweeping up and having to get rid of all the um, the, the stuff that the um, volcano is spewing out. And, and, of course, the fact that it's going to, uh, like, build a new island off the island. I mean, it's, it's something that I remember when we were going to, we were considering going to live on Tenerife. I was doing um, uh, a season out in Tenerife. And uh, somebody said to me then, and we're talking 20 years ago, um, they said, there's going to be volcanic activity. The highest mountain on the, uh, the whole of Spain's uh, land is Mount Tady, which is in um, Tenerife. I went up there to look at it. It's like being on the moon. And, of course, you've got all the, the, the ash and the stuff that, you know, is now being spewed out. So, really, the media has now got itself to the point that it's frantically trying to get all sorts of things that can undermine democracy. And in the background, you've got China and you've got Russia. They are driving this like crazy. And the fools who are part of these uh, eco-warriors and people like that... They just probably are being given money to go out and be disruptive. And if you look at these guys who are being interviewed, who are leading this eco-warrior nonsense, they are actually people who are telling everybody else what they should do, and they're not doing it themselves. It's come out in radio interviews when they've been invited in. And when people look at why everybody's acting so stupid, since the 80s, since the London School of Economics in the early days, even in the 60s, all teaching has gone left-wing in most of the colleges. How do I know? I worked in colleges. I, I, I remember going to um, try and find a place at a college in, in Plymouth, one of the university um, outposts. And, you know, I was going to do this particular course, and they said, do you want to do a fourth-year uh, social working course? I said, no, I don't. And it was almost like I, I was a heretic for not wanting to do that sort of course. There's something been dramatically wrong with the whole of the British system for a long time because underneath where people don't see what's going on, the communists on the left and the extremists on the right are busy fer ferreting around trying to create trouble. We've got the same in this country. But, but unfortunately, Spain doesn't see it quite as clearly. Don, I've gone on for a bit, and um, it's not good, but the eco-warriors, they're being motivated by somebody the same as Black Lives Matter. I'll bet you there's a yeah. connection. If you look for it, well, there'll be a connection. You see, the, the thing is, with the, as I say, with the papers, um, they're an example of things that are fading, like, like the music industry, uh, you know, tapes faded and then CDs came in and that was the end of vinyl. It's making a bit of a comeback. But 
You see, the papers are now panicking because it's about money. They're going to lose money. So they're trying to create something that isn't happening. You know, like yesterday, the Daily Mail as was saying there's going to be a shortage of food in supermarkets there's going to be a that they're, they're still panic buying pets they're not you know it, it's false news now if you were to say something like that to upset people it was racist if you make a racist comment that upsets everybody it's an offense you know if you make a sexist comment that causes uh, an outrage it's an offense this is an offence, saying things like that. Fake news. And, and the Daily Mail's a, a load of rubbish anyway. But personally, I don't know anybody that buys newspapers now. I, don't, I literally don't. And I'm sure people do, but I don't know anybody that buys them. And, you know, people look on their phones now. They're, they're forever looking on their phones at the BBC. And that's it. That's the way of the world. Papers will fade away. There won't be any newspapers in a few years, I don't think. And that's the. And but it's all about money. They're panicking because they're making a fortune, or they have been making a fortune. These papers, and now they're not. You know, and and it's like the gas thing. Oh, you know, the, the gas bills are going to go up four times, three times what you're paying now. Why? You know. They don't explain it. I'm sure there must be a reason. But all I see is, well, the gas companies are going to be losing money, so they're going to make everybody pay. Maybe the gas companies are having to pay Russia for the gas. I don't know, but they don't tell you this. They just say, oh, oh, you know, your, your gas your gas bills are going to rock it up. You see, and that's it. Oh, oh, that's okay then. And people accept that, but they, they don't explain why they should have someone on saying this is the reason why. You know, instead of saying, don't wash your clothes so much and stupid comments like that. You know, anyway, after creating a panic with the ridiculous reporting on the petrol crisis, which caused totally unnecessary panic buying, the media have found something new to frighten us all. Surprise, surprise. You know, there's going to be a shortage of gas, which could, in, in, in inverted commas, affect many of us on the poverty line this is what we get now the poverty line as our gas bills will probably treble now they tell you that so everybody now panics if they're you know one parent families and people with several kids are all panicking now you know oh we can't you, know. you see why did he do it give us an explanation and an answer perhaps you know they're so well, oh, it just makes me sick, you know. I'm not quite sure why they're going to treble, you see. I need to know why. And you know what I'm saying, Vince? It's the media. All, not, nothing's news unless it's scaremongering. All the time you turn the news on every day. You know, it's just, they're looking for something to brass everybody off all the time. And they come out with these sweeping statements with virtually no sensible explanations. I was recently gazing out across the Liverpool Bay where, where I live. In the distance, there were rows and rows of wind turbines stretching for miles, none of which were revolving as there was no wind. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but would it not be better to have the propellers under the water, which is constantly flown at high speed, mm -hmm. both ways in and out? You see, that would make sense to me. But, oh, no, maybe I'm wrong. Oh, no, they can't do that. You know, you know or have, have a propeller on the same turbine. So you've got wind on the top when it's windy and the current underneath, which is always there. You know, but to me, I looked at these turbines, there was hundreds of them, you know, stretching out into the... Not one was working. Don, Don, we've done uh, our radio interviews and uh, it's the best part of 20 years that we've been doing this, looking at certain things. Uh, and obviously, you know, I went to college, uh, started understanding a bit more about some of the politics behind what's going on. And there was a G7 meeting when David Cameron totally and utterly humiliated uh, Putin. And at the time, the Russian um, war machinery was rusting. They didn't 
they weren't able to pay the soldiers. And David Cameron was absolutely uh, abnego at Putin. And I said to myself at that particular time, I know what, because Putin is a, a judo player, and I've got no, another idea of how people who, who, you know, play our sport operate. It's like chess. You do something. So you, David Cameron, make me the president of a, a fine Russian nation uh, in front of all the G7 uh, members and also the whole of the world watching. You humble me. I'm going to go back to Russia, mate, and I'm going to do something that's going to really upset you. So, first of all, he rebuilds and has been rebuilding his war machinery. And then the next thing is you look at the European market. The European Union has been expanding and expanding. In the past, you had the Latvian states. They were the border between, uh, say, Russia and the, the European Union. And then, of course, they went uh, independent about 1990, late 80s, 90s, something like that. So, of course, that now means that the, um, the thing that Putin probably perceives is an invasion of sorts from the free markets and everything else that he'd been against. So what he's done, he's actually been very cute. He's manoeuvred himself in, into capitalism and managed to now get everybody to agree to the pipe coming across the whole of Europe and he can hold everybody to ransom via the prices or allowing people to have the gas. And I think, quite honestly, that's how, how simple I can see it. And, of course, into that you then build the bumbling ass of... Uh, the British Prime Minister who goes and bumbles at meetings and probably talks rubbish. Uh, I, I, I'm probably exaggerating because behind Johnson there's probably a, a lot of um, people who are trying to advise him and everything. But I see this really as a... It's a fight for democracy at the moment, Dom. Because quite honestly, uh, don't forget, what we're seeing people doing in the shops with the panic buying is classic for what we saw in Russia. You couldn't buy a car. You couldn't just go and walk into a showroom and buy a car when we were in the 60s. Russians couldn't do that. Now they've all had a taste of how capitalism works. So Putin is now caught between seeing what's the best way to get his own economy great again He's got China as his, his mate just around the corner. They're flexing their, their muscles and talking about taking over and invading Taiwan. It doesn't look good. And I think, quite honestly, the forces of evil are gathering everywhere. I just think it's horrible. I hope to goodness I've got this wrong because I've looked at it for a long time, Don. And your face tells me that um, we better move on to the news presenters <laughs> who are coming under fire. What do you mean my face tells you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, the trouble is, here, this country is a nation of moaners. You know, the whinging Brits, uh, as, as the whinging palms, as the, as the Aussies call us, which I find highly racist, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you see, we're, we're a, a nation of moaners. That's the problem. And we moan, but nobody does anything about it. Probably because there's nothing you can do. So, you know, I don't. I'm not really in that category. I, I just look. At, I just laugh at after things because you, if you read the news and these panic things, it's gone in a week. Then there's something else, you know, because they never mention COVID now. That's it. Anyway, the news presenters have also come under fire mainly for taking over, um, talking rather over politicians who are trying to answer questions thrown at them. You know, this, this, I mean, all of a sudden they come under fire. This has been going on for years and years. The presenters in their bid to make a name for themselves seem to forget viewers have to watch this ill-mannered behaviour. And there's nothing worse than two voices coming out of one speaker, you know, on your television. There's nothing worse. And the standard phrase is, just answer the question. So Piers Morgan, before his fall from grace, was a prime example you know, we went on and on for months about Boris Johnson refusing to appear on his programme. I wonder why. You see, you see let, the, let them talk, the politicians. They do go off on a, ta on a tangent, but let them talk. They keep interrupting all the time. And the main problem is there's too much time given 
to news programmes. So we have to, we end up watching a lot of padding. This is the trouble nowadays. As I've always said, you can't please everyone. But it'd be, it would be nice now and again to actually please somebody. You know, it seems things aren't news unless they involve doom and gloom and scaremongering. But this this interviewing business, it, it, it just gets on your nerves. Someone's trying to answer a question and they butt straight in. And the two of them are talking at the same time because the politician doesn't want wants to finish his sentence. And it's 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 amateur. You know, isn't it? Well, to if me, you think about to. it, Don, um, you see, we've had a politician who wasn't skilled in bullshit, and that was uh, the one and only Donald Trump. Now, love him or loathe him, he wanted the best for his country. And basically, he was very, very clumsy in the way he spoke. He wasn't a skilled uh, politician who's been to hours and hours of telling us the same nonsense about nothing so that you then, you know, need to butt in every now and again and get him back on track. I mean, I watch Question Time as much as I can because it keeps me in touch with the way people are thinking and talking in, in the UK. And um, quite honestly, I watch, um, uh, is it Moira Stewart thing? In it? No, I can't remember the lady's name now. Uh, but, I mean, she just doesn't control the panel. They, they talk rubbish. They go round and round in circles. And, the, of course, the thing is, you see, I, I think a lot of this is all about creating smoke screens. Now, I kept and I have consistently um, kept to a theme, which is there is a website it's called uh, Agenda 2030 at the moment, and they keep updating it. The politicians are telling you what's going on in every country. I'll bet you you probably haven't been to see it, but I do because basically, you know, I'm not trying to spread misinformation or anything like that. I'm trying to make sure I tell you the right thing. For example, if you saw yesterday's news bulletins, you would have seen a thousand um, people came across the channel. And you get the, the nonsense spoken that it's because Britain aren't paying France enough money to stop the uh, people coming across. Sorry, mm. you put your naval vessel in the middle of the channel and you stop the things and make them go back. You are being not invaded. You are accepting thousands of illegal immigrants every day. So why are you doing it? And there is a, an answer for you in that paper. Your government, the same as governments in most of the countries around Europe, need more workers. Why do they need more workers? Because the numbers of pensioners is going up and the number of workers is going down. You said it before, life is changing all the time. And so once you get to know really a little bit more about what they're trying to do, all this green stuff, the eco-warriors, the, um, the petrol shortage, all that stuff is all part of a green campaign, which if you go to the website, you'll start seeing the links that I'm po pointing out to you. Agenda 2030. It gets updated on a regular basis and it tells you what collectively the United Nations, etc., etc., are trying to do. I'm not making this up, uh, Don, believe me. Yeah, yeah, forever, yeah. You see, the, the, what you have here, we have poverty. People can't get jobs. There's loads of jobs. But, see, I always remember when I started work, it was in the town hall when I left school, went into an office, hated it, and it was awful. But I was talking to a chap in the office, I always remember this, and he said, oh, I said, my son's, uh, he can't get a job. He's 18 and can't get a job. I said, well, there's jobs here. He said, oh, he wouldn't work in an office. You see, that, and I always remember that, oh. Oh, he wouldn't work in an office. Can't get a job, got no money, but he wouldn't work in an office. You see, there's loads of jobs. People are screaming out, we can't get people to work here. You know, firms and, and, and um, restaurants, and, and they're struggling. They're having to close down because they can't get staff. And yet there's people saying, oh, we can't get jobs, you know. Half the people don't want the jobs, it seems to me. They're quite happy, you know, taking the dole. But then they moan then because they haven't got enough money. And when they interview them, there's a 
great big television on the on the wall you know that you see that's the trouble that that's how it's always been there are people obviously who are, who are in financial problems but there's a lot who aren't you know and they, they say they are you know and, I, I had a I had a spectacular week in the 60s um, I, I was working at Liverpool University as a stationary clerk and a guy came in from Lawton's of Liverpool and he said um, our company's looking for reps and I thought, yeah, OK, I've got my driving licence. Let me see whether or not, um, you know, I can do anything. So anyway, I applied for the job, got the job. Um, I started on the Monday and uh, basically um, we, I was just sort of used as cheap labour. And then I got a phone call while I was in the, the warehouse picking out stock, you know, putting the, putting the orders together. And the boss tells me, um, or I get a message, uh, you have to go and get uh, some lovely soapy water and clean the bus's car so i thought okay so i took the uh, lovely soapy water got in the lift went up to his office went into his room put the uh, soapy water on his desk and i said clean your own car walked out on the job so in the afternoon i went to the job exchange so this is how it was different and i was able to get an interview and I got a job as a trainee manager at Lawton's, uh, not, it wasn't Lawton's of Liverpool, it was uh, a, a printing place, maiden printing, that's right. And that was only just down the road from the place I'd just been working at. So I was introduced on the Monday. Uh, they took me around the factory, introduced me to all the different departments. And um, I thought Tuesday and Wednesday went quite well. Thursday, I was called into the office and told everybody was being made redundant and the firm was closing down. So I went back on the Friday to the labour exchange and um, I got a job with Aeroprene in uh, Ellesmere Port. I started on the Monday. Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday went pretty well. Went in on Thursday the factory had burnt down can you <laughs> can you imagine don i mean that's the type of that's how different times were let's go for a second to piers morgan now people are forgetting piers morgan is um he was somebody who was the editor of one of the bigger papers. I think it was the, was it the, the Sun or something like that. And it was one of those type of papers. And he disgraced himself. And basically, uh, Rupert Murdoch shipped him off to America. Now, it just so happened I was in America at the time that he was over there. And people were telling me they did not like him. They did not like his attitude. They didn't like the way that he speaks to people. They didn't like the way he does his business. And so I came back to Britain and um, I sort of thought to myself, well, he's going to be coming back here in some guise at some time. And sure enough, he is a sleeper for that organisation because... Who else would walk into a, you know, a, a top TV job and do the sort of things that he does and gets away with it? Very, very few. Um, quite honestly, you, you know, he, he had some great interviews with some great um, artists, Cliff Richard, Shirley Bassey, people like that. And you'd watch them at the interviews with the um, with the stars. You always enjoy to see what they've got to say, not the presenter. There would always come a point with Piers Morgan where he would start pushing on somebody's sexuality. And I do remember one particular day, Cliff Richard turned around and told him, it's none of your business, forget it. And the, the, yeah. he got a round, of rapport, a round of applause from the audience for that. Um, all right, look, while I think on, did you watch the Tyson Fury fight? Oh, do you know, listen to this. I, I woke up at, oh, as I usually do, about half past six. I wake up at half past six every morning. And I don't want to get up at half past six. So I put the television on. I've got a television. So I put that on for 20 minutes, um, you know, to just to sort of clear my mind. Because when you wake up at six, there's all sorts going on in your head. So I clear my mind. What's I thought, oh, it was, a, it was just reporting on the Tyson fight. And it said, and it went 11 rounds. And... He knocked Tyson out, and Tyson got up and knocked him out, and and I'm saying, and I'm thinking, yeah, but who won? And it and it went on eleven rounds. It was an incredible fight. Right now, it's over to such and such for some other news. So, I, I went on to the sort of side thing, the the red button, 
And I thought, I'll click. This is the BBC. I'll click on the news, which I always watch anyway. I don't watch the news generally. So I went, I thought, I'll type in boxing, boxing, right. Let's see how, who won the fight. Tyson Fury ha- has a, a big argument with Wilder because the fight, they're going to be fighting each other next weekend. This is this is on the Sunday, right? They're going yeah. to be fighting each other next weekend. They haven't altered the news. So I thought, you know, who won the fight? So that was it. At past seven, I thought, I'll tune in again. So I, I, I fall asleep again, wake up about just after half past seven. Same again. And it went 11 rounds. <laughs> I still didn't know it won the flaming fight. Anyway, I, I had to ring my son up. Um, that's a thing about half past eight when he usually talks with me. And I said, who won the fight? Oh, my goodness sake. And he, he had to look on his phone. He said, Tyson. I said, oh. There you go. But that was it. You know, they go on and on about it, but they should have said at the end, well done, well done. Uh, well, I was, up, I was up at... Um, I, I, got, <laughs> I actually got a, a phone call at half past five, and so I was up at six, and uh, it was about round eight. So Fury had been knocked down, then he'd knocked the other guy down. Um, it was brutal, and I've got to say, it was, it was a bit like watching licensed thuggery. Because yeah. it wasn't like, you know, when you used to watch Muhammad Ali and some of the other guys, you know, that you could see the artistry. Um, I mean, I, I quite like uh, Tyson Fury because I, I, I do think he tries to say some nice things, actually. Uh, yeah, he's a nice fellow. He yeah, does seem a nice, a nice guy, doesn't he? And yeah. uh, obviously, uh, the other guy, I don't know much about him. All I do know is that um, obviously he, he, he had a, tr- a bit of a problem with Tyson Fury his weight um, because he was about 19 stone I think the other guy was about 17 stone huge guys um, but as a fight went it was it was a good fight in the respect of um, exciting and you always knew that there would be a big punch probably to come in the next round wherever you were watching so yeah I, I enjoyed the fight and uh, I thought that um, when you listen to Tyson Fury I think he is uh, down to earth and quite a nice guy and so I was pleased he'd won um, now then you've got something for me uh, two musical items actually we've got a wonderful song to uh, finish off with today this I'm just giving you uh, what they call a spoiler we're not going to do it now but you know I'm looking forward to playing it so much and <laughs> and on, on the lighter note um, tell me about Frank Sinatra yeah, this is just an example. I mean, you see, talking politics, I don't know much about politics, mainly because I'm not remotely interested, basically. I just watch it and, and nod my head and just go go with the flow. You see, because there's nothing I can do about anything. But what I do know about is music, you know, because I've, I've always been into music from when I was a kiddie and played in a band from... 60 years, whatever the hell it is. Um, you see, Frank Sinatra, right? <laughs> I know he was admired and idolised by many, you know, but he was never for me. I found his voice very dry, as opposed to Bing Crosby and Pat Boone, for example. I like I like crooners. I do like crooners. I've, I've always have. And uh, good, good and Dean Martin, you know, and people like that. But I always found Frank Sinatra overrated. His voice was dry, and he was, you know, he was trying to be the tough guy. I mean, anyone could be a tough guy when you got four heavies walking along with you, you know. <laughs> you got four, four uh, Tyson Fiori's walking along with you. Anyone could be a hard case, you know, when they're your mates. And in later years, Frank always seemed to be singing about himself. You know, for example, I did it my way. I have been a rover. I have walked alone. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. You know, leave Frank. Don't come back. You know what I mean? Like, the the problem with Frank Sinatra, in his early days, he was okay. But later on, I think he tried to retire, I think, and I don't think the... um, the mob would let him because <laughs> he was making a lot of money obviously for everybody I don't know but that was the sort of rumour and his old, his later records in old age he was out of tune you know in a lot of them and it wasn't very good but you know 
that that that's only my opinion. I know he was very popular, but I never got him. I never saw it really. And on the same subject, as singing about themselves, Rod Stewart's got a new single out, which he obviously wrote himself because the lyrics are so bad. You know, it's about him splitting with his girlfriend and going off to play in his country band because he, you know, she knew he wants to play in his country band. And it's like, it, it was great while it lasted. And the two of us smashed it. I mean, how's that for a, for a poetic? It's just awful. Um, you know, I do like good lyrics. I do like good thought out lyrics. These sadly f uh, don't fall into that category. You know, I'm not a fan of Rod Stewart either. I know he's popular and I know he's had hits, but, uh, you know, I'm, I just don't really get him. You know, uh, I remember him when he was, fancied himself when he was young. And, uh, you know, it, uh, I've got to like somebody, you see. I've got to like the person as well as, as the voice, you know. Okay. So that was it. Frank Sinatra, that will go down well with people who are big fans. But uh, that's only my opinion. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I, I never rated him from the very beginning, and that's it. Okay. So there you go. So uh, I went to uh, Palm Springs, spent quite a bit of time in, in Palm Springs, and um, my contacts over there took me around all the, the different places that are great to, to show visitors, you know, where Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin and the Rat Pack used to go and have their late night parties and uh, places like that. And, um, you know, it was really interesting for me. Uh, so... I quite like Frank Sinatra. Uh, I certainly didn't dislike him. Uh, liked him in some of his movies. Uh, bit contrived, of course. I didn't have the same reasons for liking or disliking that you might have done. So on one of my later travels, I think it was about 2012, I decided to uh, go and have a look at where he was buried because I'd never, never been um, to the Palm Springs Cemetery. You know, you don't expect to. And as, as you drove towards, out of town and towards where the cemetery is, we pulled in and there were these massive great uh, mausoleum uh, for, for different people, obviously with huge amounts of money who uh, had been uh, buried in these different places. Um, but I couldn't find Frank Sinatra. So I asked somebody, I said, look, I've looked around all these massive, great um, statues and mausolea and all these different things that, you know, um, represent the lives of famous people. This guy said, well, he's not buried here. This is the uh, private um, Palm Springs Cemetery. There's the public one on the other side of the road. That's where you'll find Frank Sinatra. So uh, we went to a more sort of, um, I won't say humble, because obviously, you know, it's not, really a, it's not really the sort of description that you'd put to it. I went into the office and I said, um, I, I would like to see where Frank Sinatra is um, buried. And this lady uh, described where it was. We drove about three uh, avenues down into the cemetery Again, there were great big monuments to the, to the war dead and things like that. And then just on the floor would, was a slab. And it was uh, um, telling us that this was where Frank Sinatra is buried. Um, yeah. In yeah. a very, very humble place. I mean, amazingly humble. And I went back to the office and I said to the lady, I said, I'm, I'm amazed because I didn't think it would be such a humble place. And she said, well, she said, that's what our Frankie wanted. And, uh, <laughs> you know, she, she, she did speak to me just like that. She said, um, that's what Frankie wanted. He wanted to be buried alongside his mum and his dad. And there he is, one single stone, not a headstone, just a, a, a stone in the ground, um, which does tell you a little bit more about Frank Sinatra that maybe um, the public don't realise. I was yeah. very, very, very surprised with that one. I didn't dislike him as a bloke, you know. I just didn't like his voice. You see, people used to say, oh, you know, the way Sinatra does it. You see, a lot of people with singers, they say, oh, he can do no wrong. It's like like John Lennon, really, you know. John Lennon makes a, 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 becomes famous, and whatever he does... 
people accept that it's great and it isn't some of it's rubbish you know oh yoko and stuff like that it was rubbish you know but you see that was sinatra oh sinatra can do that the way sinatra does it you see to me it wasn't that good you know it's only my opinion as i say it's it's i always found his voice dry somehow mm. see ben crosby had that uh yeah, that but we had that sort of timbre in his voice. You know, Sonata never sort of had that. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe, but I don't dislike him. Don't know him. So. Hey, it's but, cool. Uh, Horses for courses, um, long live the difference, you know. I mean, I've got to say, I, I watch various people talking on these chat shows and exalting certain musicians, especially maybe if I'm watching Jules Holland, because I like him, and I, I do like his programme, because you see very, very different types of music. And um, he showed Radiohead, and there was this guy from the Foo Fighters being interviewed, and he said... Well, this uh, particular, whatever the number was, uh, showed you that they were going through some sort of renaissance and that the music is just mind-boggling and blah-de-blah. Anyway, this um, Radiohead track, uh, you could see the fellas playing, and it was awful, Don. I mean, it was, it yeah, was transparently yeah. bad. But then, don't forget, this is only my opinion. So whatever I say is subjective. And uh, really, you, you know, have I got the right just because I work as a DJ to criticise somebody else's music? Well, I would say if I didn't play music as well, certainly. But because I do play guitar, play um, harmonicas and I play keyboards, I think I've got a little bit more licence to be a little bit more critical and you because you write songs and because you perform songs you've got the right to be critical so that's why I listen to what you say and uh, try to take it in and follow it through by looking at things you know I think because you're in music and because I've seen you play and we know each other's work etc um, you know those that don't know Don Woods might think well that's a bit outspoken but you know <laughs> but that's the difference you see Don you know I know you and I know your pedigree and I know why you think the way you do because you've explained it to me. And the sad thing is, you know, when I watch national TV and I'm watching uh, somebody who I do rate, uh, I think Jules Holland's terrific, but then when I watch him talking to this guy from the Foo Fighters telling me that this Radiohead stuff is wonderful and then I watch it, and I'm thinking, well, I didn't say anything because my, my missus was watching as well. So I thought, well, I won't say anything. And Anne looked at me and she said, this is rubbish. <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, that's somebody that doesn't play music that can also spot it. Something is not right. Look, you know instinctively when things are not right. I'm going to read you a headline. It's up this morning. No further action will be taken. Met Police reveals it has dropped its investigation into claims Virginia Roberts was sex trafficked into London by Jeffrey Epstein when she was 17 and forced to have sex with Prince Andrew. Apparently it's all being dropped on Prince Andrew's hearsay. Now, if it was yeah. you and if it was me, there's no way you'd just get it dropped because you're uh, Don Woods and I'm Vince Tracy. I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, well, again... Uh, you know, I've got little time for the Royals. Uh, they're there. You know, they don't affect me. They had a thing on this morning with Prince Charles walking through his garden with his hand in his pocket, pointing around at everything like he does. You know, his garden is like, it's massive. You know, I mean... And, so you just accept this. I mean, he's going on about the ecology. This could, these plants could die, and all. I'm thinking, you know, it's it died well. Uh, Prince Andrew, the fellow's an idiot, as far as I'm concerned. He's an absolute prat, and what he's doing, you know, he's born into royalty. That's it. If he wasn't born into royalty, he'd be nothing. He'd be nothing. He'd just be an idiot that goes to the local pub. You know, the fellow, as I say, you, there's nothing you can say well, you about see, the Royals. Again, because you, they've you got a lot of fans, you see, the Royals. They've got a lot of followers. And, you see, Lady Diana, when she sadly got died or got, got killed, you know, 
thousands and thousands of people are throwing flowers down outside the the palace. They didn't even know her, you know. But see, we're a nation of followers, and every, a lot of people will be delighted that uh, Prince Andrew's got off with this. But as you say, you and I would wouldn't have got off with it, you know. We'd have been lambasted, you know. If we did that, not that I would do it anyway, because Look, uh, Don, I've got better things to do. I, I'm probably, I'm probably getting to the stage where you know I don't want to bore you, but you see, I, I see on the other side of the screen the the Queen as worshipped in public, and I see a very sad lady of 95 who basically has been one of the cornerstones of Britain. I mean, you can't really fault um, what she's done for Britain, um, although probably because as a mother she's had to spend more time with the state than with her family, she's probably um, paid the penalty for that. Now, the trouble is, you see, I left the United Kingdom and I was really, I was never an anarchist, I was never an activist, but I didn't particularly like what I saw with the royal family. When we left, I was convinced that Princess Diana had been bumped off. And the reason why was because we'd been in France, we'd been in that uh, auto uh, underpass where she was killed. There was no need to kill her. And then working around the people who are some of the people that were involved with Duchy College, where I was um, working as a lecturer, and you could see the way Prince Charles is, and then you think to yourself, hang on, this guy is supposed to be the head of the church if the Queen dies, and yet he's got a mistress. You, you know, I mean, the trouble is all these people want the cake and eat it. They're never happy to just be um, working hard, get the money and, and just get on with their lives. They're then busy telling everybody else what they've got to do. And I, I really do find it distasteful to see Camilla uh, Parker Bowles with him now uh, because basically, um, you know, it was disgraceful what was going on. But um, that's the simple side of me seeing the rules that were asked to keep and the rules that I try to keep and I know you try to keep, which is basically so that society just operates and you know i've no i've I've nothing against any uh black people because i love their music and i've loved many aspects of their uh, sporting achievements and things like this um i i even look at the politicians now in a different way because you, you can see how erudite some of these uh, good-looking black people are you know and and i didn't grow up with many black people so i'm i've been educated by the media but because I've also learned about the media, I realise how we're being sort of manipulated all the time. I'm going to finish with looking at um, one of Britain's all-time greats. And you have waxed lyrical about a particular song. Tell me who it is. I know I've had an interview with him. You tell me your side of the story. Now, listen. Listen, Vince. You sent me a link. You interviewed this guy, yeah. Jess Conrad. You interviewed him. And I really enjoyed the interview. I thought he came over great. He did, didn't I he? I remember Jess Conrad. I remember him as an actor. He was a good-looking bloke, really good-looking guy. Uh, he was an actor, and he, he, he got him to make records. Very, very interesting, that um, interview you did with him, because he went on about uh, the Telstar film with... Um, who was the chap? That, Joe Meek. The, the, Joe Meek. And there was a film on Joe Meek, and he said that he he was in the film, Jess Conard was in the film as someone else, and they got a young fella to play him, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> so he's actually talking to himself when he was a young lad. And I thought that was great. I really enjoyed it. He came over great. And he mentioned um, Clem Cattini. Yeah, the drummer. Uh, the drummer. Yeah. And what, what a lot of people don't know is Clem Cattini was the drummer on Johnny Kidd and the Pirates because Johnny Kidd's original Pirates on Shaking All Over where the, the the Telstar bunch, you know, the the right. who, who played Telstar, what was it? What was the name of the group? Uh, I can't remember now. Okay. Anyway, 
they work with Joe Meek. He worked with Joe Meek, you see. And uh, so... Uh, the Tornadoes. The Tornadoes. Tornadoes, yeah, yeah, the Tornadoes. So Johnny Kidd's Pirates became the Tornadoes, which a lot of people don't know. And and then he, he got a, the other Pirates in with Mick Green and, and them. But <laughs> I thought, I thought, yes, God, it was great. But I met Clem Cattini, uh, which is a little, a little aside, when, when I was on the floral. He was on the same show. And I got chatting to him. And I said, that drum break in shaking all over I said it's it's horrendous I said it's so difficult to do and he said that's because it was a F up he said (laughs) (laughs) at the time I said what he said I came in one beat too early and I said well we'll do it again he said no leave it I said Thanks for telling me. I said, I've been about 40 years trying to get that right with the band. (laughs) Lovely. He said, said, everybody says the same thing. I said, oh, he said, said, you've got to come in right on the nail. If you don't, the whole song's thrown out. And he said, I'm top of the charts at the moment with uh, Amarillo because it had been brought back yeah. by... Um, Peter Kay. ...comedian. Mm. And he, he said, I'm on that. <laughs> he said, I'm top of the charts. I said, how much did you get for that? He said, nine quid. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know what? He was an absolute scream of a bloke. Great guy, great drummer. But I thought Jess Conrad talking about him and all the people... And I, and I saw the film, it was great. Mm. And I really, really enjoyed that... Um, that that uh, the, the interview interview it was great. So thanks for sending it. Sadly, <laughs> I feel awful now about going on about one of his records, which was dreadful. It was a seven-inch single back in the day, which should have had an eight-inch hole drilled in it. You know, in my opinion, it was so bad. But again, you see, this with this, he he said in your interview he didn't have any hits. Well, he did. You know, this was number 39. This reached number 39 in the charts. How? I don't know. And he also had another one called This Pullover. This Pullover that you gave to me, which was as bad. That was as bad singing about a pullover his girl had made. And that, that that got in the charts. And Mystery Girl was another, if I remember. She's my mystery girl underneath the lamppost. So, you know, one of them jobs. Now, when... During the rock and roll era, that was when I'd just left school, the last year in school, and uh, when all these were going on, the, uh, 60, 1960, 61. Um, you know, it was an insult listening to this stuff because we were into American-only stuff, you know, yeah. and the Tommy Steels and all those, they didn't come into it at all. We, we wouldn't listen to them. You know, it was got to be Chuck Berry and Elvis and all them. And so Jess Conrad just did not fit in. But I must say, that interview was great. And what a great bloke. You know, I, I was laughing my head off. But this song, this song he did, which reached number 39, he must have bought all the records to get it there because it's terrible. And this is this is what I've, I've done this week as the one of the worst records ever. In my opinion, only my opinion. Well, I've got to say, I had never heard this song. So, uh, because obviously I'd interviewed him, I thought, well, yeah, I'll have a listen to this. And you've you've correctly identified it, probably as one of the worst songs ever. Um, And I do remember the late Paul Melba. Paul often used to tell me about Jess Conrad and various other people that he didn't seem to think very, very highly of. Um, So I had a lot of inside information and, um, you know, because Paul was a big star and worked at the, the top end of the, uh, the business, um, some of the things he told me about certain people, I don't go there because, you know, it's sort of, <laughs> it was privileged in, information. But, um, OK, well, we'll finish off with you doing the perfect uh, introduction, as you normally do, by the way. See, you've got the hang of this now. Yeah, well, I'll say one thing. I'll say one thing about Jess Conrad. He came out with something. He was on. Oh, about four or five years ago on the Floral Pavilion here. And he got interviewed on the local radio. And he said, first off, I don't do humble. <laughs> Which I thought was great. Oh, that's fair right. enough. Yeah. 
the record of this week that I've chosen as one of the worst records ever, in my opinion only, and it's called Cherry Pie. Jack home, side, side, side in the corner, eating his cherry, cherry pie. I didn't put in a thumb, I didn't pull out a plum, so I guess I'm as great as him. Give me, give me some, give me, give me some. Sun, cherry, cherry. 